0: In this episode, we're going to be talking about the album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. Wilco are an American alt-rock band formed in Chicago, Illinois, led by frontman and songwriter Jeff Tweedy. Widely believed to be Wilco's most popular album to date, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot suffered a complicated release, costing them two band members and a record deal in the process. This album opened up a whole world of new music to me and will go down as one of my favorite albums ever made. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have over the years. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. This is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco.
1: You're listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Join the conversation at tracks.show.
2: We need a camera for that move. You
1: know how hard it is not to say that now. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Can I just get one one from you now? Let's bounce. Good. So deep.
1: Yeah, it's deep, deep, enough. How
2: are we? Yeah. Good, man. How are you? We're all right, I think. I think yeah. we're all right now. We're all right. We've had a bit of a day, but we're all right. We've had a proper old day of it. Maybe some good news this week who knows maybe.
0: maybe what's that good news going
1: to be um, the, Chris has got his hair uh, into a point where he can put it in a ponytail <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, there you go that's the good news that's yeah. the good
2: news so form an orderly cue you do look lovely thank you very much mm-hmm. This is just to stop it from being a mullet that's all that's, that's, that's banging mullet. style mullet, mullets are in mullets
0: are in mullet 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 great
1: album choice Albin. thanks mate
2: been a grower on me that one
1: yeah it's got there it's got there
2: good good good
0: yeah. enjoyed it enjoyed it good man I'm uh, keen to get into it because it's a big one for me, this. That surprised me, actually, that this was your bag. It was my bag because it was an album that opened me up to find more of my bags (laughs) in in the bag of us, you know? Uh, More Um, of my bags. But yeah, Uh. so welcome back, everyone. This is episode four of Between the Tracks. This week, we are looking at Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. We announced this album last week, and here we are again, coming back to discuss it. So we hope you all enjoyed it as much as I know I did, and hopefully the guys did.
2: We're back to you again. This was uh, a full rotation of full every rotation. member now, and we're back to Carl. We're officially back, yeah. Okay. First time, first time. It's good to be
1: back.
0: <laughs> it's good to be back <laughs> on the hot stage. <laughs>
1: oh, you are the hostess with the most. Oh, well, you know. Yeah,
0: you know. Do you want to do any background on the album, or anything to be touched upon?
1: The background to the album's intense, isn't it? And I think, I know we'll probably touch on it after a couple of tracks, but... What a classic story of band versus label.
0: Totally. I mean, we'll probably trickle that story out as we go because it's such a fundamental part of the story of this album. I
1: guess the landscape was changing
2: a lot as well, wasn't it? With the move into digital and... um, Yeah, um,
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah. The the turn of the internet, which seems so long ago now. It's amazing to think, isn't it? Back when this was released in 2001 slash 2002, to imagine that the internet was not even close to being much of a factor in how this all happened. Yeah. Bizarre. What a simple time but we won't try and be romantic about it because I'm sure it was also horrible. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and and we wouldn't be able to do this without the internet and all that stuff, so you know. So let's uh, get around to introductions. My name is Carl Lewis. This is Charlie Alfie B. Fowler. Hello, Carl. And Chris Bow Bunt. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. (laughs) Beautiful, (laughs) nice. So without further ado, we've got a lot to get through, so maybe let's jump in with track one. So this is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, track one, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart.
2: You cruel bastard.
0: That was track one, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Trying me best. In terms of the people who performed on this album, the band members at the time were, you had Jeff Tweedy, who was the singer, songwriter, guitarist, frontman of the band. You had Glenn Koch, who was on drums. Jay Bennett, who was keys, guitar, BVs, and he kind of looked after all the experimental noise parts of the album, and also engineered the album as well. And then you've got John Stirat on bass, and Leroy Back on keys, guitar, and kind of multi-instrumental. A lot of the band had a multi-instrumentalist role, like, for instance, John Steer at the bass player did some of the string arrangements and stuff like that. But that, in its incarnation at the time, was the band list. Around the time, just before this album was being made, they were approached by a, videographer, well, a photographer, actually, and the guy was called Sam Jones, who's an L.A. photographer, who contacted the band and said, can I produce a documentary about the making of your next album? And so the vast majority of the whole process of this is documented in a documentary. It's called I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. And it's available. The only place I could find it was on Vimeo. Yeah, and it was like three ninety nine, I think, in in pounds mm-hmm. to buy it. And it's worth every penny. It's great. It's a really interesting watch. Yeah, um, a great document
2: of a of a band that ultimately is is making what is now their seminal album i think that would be agreed upon and it also really nakedly shows the inner workings of a band that is having a, a relatively tough time personnel wise i think we do lose a couple of members on either side of this album one going into the album and one coming out of it so
0: yeah so on the way in you had um a different drummer so this is interesting actually about the documentary and the drummer on the first day they started recording the documentary was the same day that the Previous drummer Ken Coomer was dismissed from the band right. on day one yeah. of recording. Yeah.
1: And am I right in thinking that was because they felt that he wasn't creatively flexible enough.
0: Yeah. Seems like that's the premise, and I think it is yeah. documented because the guy who replaced him, Glenn Koch, is just amazing. He's like his rhythmic ability is, is mad. Yeah, but fucking hell. Imagine just hearing that that you've, you're yeah. you you're out
2: because you can't you're hold, basically
0: not good enough. You can't hold up, yeah. Oasis true. did that with like all of their drummers going Brutal. forward. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Maybe that's why they ended up the way they did. Yeah, yes. maybe. And then you had, like you say, Jay Bennett, who was again, sacked from the band just after the album was finished. And that was because of disagreements between him and Jeff Tweedy and just their inability to work together anymore, which is so well documented in the documentary. Like you can see the, the start of the fray mm-hmm. between the two of them. They have a couple of disagreements in there and it's um, it's interesting to see.
1: So um. on this track, the first things that I wrote down off the bat were sleepy, hypnotic vocal, mm-hmm. lazy yeah. and drunk.
2: The drinking thing is a big part of this song, isn't it? You know, that's the opening line of the album, An American Aquarium Drinker, which is a cool line in itself.
0: I think it would be perfect on the soundtrack for the film Lost in Translation. Oh, fair. Song, that film and, and the image it gives me and the feeling it gives me and the, right. the way it's put together reminds me of this song okay. and vice versa. It's worth us talking about how we interpreted the general theme of the album overall because mm-hmm. that will be something that people can chew on whilst we go through the different songs. My interpretation of the album is that if you imagine tuning a radio and if you were sweeping through stations on an old radio and you get lots of static interference and stuff but every now and then you tune into a channel and for that moment in time it's very consistent you can hear you can hear it and you enjoy it then you might sweep again and and in that interim is chaos and static and then you find another song you're like oh that's really good i'm in i'm in i'm in and you keep moving through i love that and the whole album to me has that feel so all of those noisy parts to me signify signal jamming and kind of sweeping through to find the bit and all the songs and the themes of the songs and the content matter is a lot about communication and inability to communicate mm-hmm. in relationships and friendships and all that different stuff. And so that really feeds into the whole kind of trying to find patterns in the static mm. and uh, oh. I think
2: as well that that it's interesting that there are some really sweet sounding songs in here mm-hmm. that are also masked by quite a lot of noise and quite a lot of static, and yeah, so yeah, it's, I mean, I'm with you on that, and you know, when you dive into this album, when you do some research on this album there is a lot of talk about communication or miscommunication or the inability to. God,
1: I feel like that, the proud person that like started the book club and I'm sat there in my chair and we're all in a circle and I'm sat back like, yes, this is going very well. My <laughs> students are, are beautiful in their words. <laughs> <blossom>. <laughs> Bloody hell. They really have. But, <laughs> but yeah, my, my I, really... mind, I just put, sounds quite lazy and sounds a bit drunk. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Yeah.
2: That's, that's, that's just as valid as but, what we're but, saying. But though. that's, but that's again, that's, what a lot of this is some of it is um talk about um saying something if you could it could if you could be bothered and some of it is about drinking to to, so you don't have to address those things i i adore the way he said he sings this is not a joke so please stop smiling i love i love that that's for me i can just see him trying to trying to communicate a point and it and the other person really not getting it, and yeah, yeah. the frustration, especially you know, if he might be drunk or swaying on a on like the a, almost a curbside. Then sorry, we are in the UK it, on a <laughs> pavement. <laughs> um, sidewalk, yeah, on the sidewalk. Um, but I just I love that image that he's yeah someone's laughing at something that he's trying to be really serious about.
0: But, yeah, and I feel like we've all been in that situation where it's like you're really trying to talk seriously to someone and they're just smiling at you and it's like that's the most frustrating thing it's the most frustrating move ever yeah (laughs) All right. well let's move on anyway and we'll uh, we'll get back to all that stuff in a minute so this is track 2 and this is camera
3: I need a camera
0: That was track two, Camera. Love that one. That is a nice little song, that. Coming out to that first one as well, it's very very much a nice, happy, straight, predictable song. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: yeah I think so. More, more traditional, yeah. I, fe- I said in my notes, I said, um, I find it totally digestible. As in, lyrically and musically, I was just like, oh,
2: I like this. Nice. Yeah. No stomachache. No stomachache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can do that noise again if I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get this one. It's like, it's nice, and again, playing into the metaphor that I'm not going to stop referencing now about the communication radio sweeping thing, it's like this, to me, represents a stronger signal in the sweeping round in the radio. It's like this one is like very direct. It's really well communicated. The point that he's making comes across really well. And in some of the other songs where there's more noise over them, is the songs he doesn't communicate as well in. So this signifies a very clean part of the album to me where he's, he knows what he wants to say.
2: But then again, the song itself is about viewing things through a camera, right? So it's... Yeah. So there's your, there's your communication angle or your, or, your, or your distorted version of...
0: Yeah. But something. he says, I want, I need a camera to my eye. It's almost like he needs someone to come and look inside to see what he's seeing. But then, oh, no, no, that's not how I hear it. That's not how I imagine
2: it. I imagine, because later on, he breaks a camera because that, for me, that's him not wanting to deal with something or or getting something wrong. He's been needing a camera to focus his, the direction of his. Oh, I didn't think of it like that. because yeah. yeah,
0: I had the, I need a camera to my eye, reminding all the things I'm hiding. Like he Like, he needs someone to look into his eye with a camera. So they can see what he's thinking, and at the end he smashes the camera because he's done with being open now. Well, like it could be, that. but it could be either way. Have you got, you got you got Jeff does. on? You got Jeff on speed dial. Uh, let me let me call him. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jeff, we're dialing you in. If you're listening, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff.
1: Hello, boys. Oh, it's Jeff here.
0: That was good. Yeah. I thought yeah.
1: both of your opinions were a load of shit, and Charlie's was great. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, cool work on the shortest song on the album. <laughs> See <you> next week <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Jeff. Shortest song
2: on the album, but I love that they stick on that chord right at the end. They, they're just there, they hang yeah. on it for ages. I think that's, that's really cool. I like that I Yeah, it. yeah, for sure. I like that a lot. And again, it's the line in this song that is the, the most clear. No, it's not okay. That's the one that rings yeah. through yeah, yeah, yeah. for me, and to to have such a sweet sounding song. He's saying, you know, I'm phoned my family, tell them I'm lost on the sidewalk. And no, it's not okay. In such a in such a pretty song, is, it's a real cry is, for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what was funny when I was um, when I was just reading some reviews on this because Pitchfork give an absolute rarity for this. They give this album ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. Pitchfork being the absolute bastards for giving up the 10 out of 10. So, um, you know, it's it's not an easy easy sell. And the funny thing is on this, is when they talk about this song, they say that it's comparable to the clever and precise, though now largely neglected, jazz-inflected blues rock of Dire Straits' stunning debut. And the the thought of Pitchfork taking absolute dad (laughs) band Dire Straits and using them as a reference point for one of their 10 out of 10 albums, I find amazing. Yeah. I love Dire Straits. I wonder if they yeah, gave yeah, sure. Dire
0: Straits 10 out of 10. Maybe they did. Maybe that's the, mm. that's the thing. Maybe they're justifying die Straits. Random trivia then. Yeah. This, is, this could have been Charlie's fact of the week. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on your uh. toes here, mate. What if he's already got it? He won't have it. So I will not have it. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, 10 out of 10 on Pitchfork. Aye. Since then, there has been one album that's had the 10 out of 10. Oh. Do we oh, know what it is? Do you know what? I bet it's Fiona Apple this year. That didn't get a 10.
1: Spice up your life.
0: Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Is it? Oh, thing. yeah, that sounds right. Jeez. Yeah, so that was the... Fiona, that was the, Fiona it, Apple didn't get a 10. It may have got a 10. Maybe the the only album since Wilco. So the the first 10 out of 10 after Wilco was... Oh, well, I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah, wow. I see, I see. So
2: it took a while. What a dark, twisted fantasy that album is anyway. Bring that one in.
0: Yeah. If you want. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. it'd be a good one to bring in. Yeah, i will definitely do that one. Yeah. Something I read into with... Because some of the songs sound really together and like they were just recorded there in the moment. And some of the songs sound like they're just random and kind of really messed up and picked apart. And I did read an interview with Jeff Tweedy where he was talking about the process and how they do things. And so, and it's outlined in the documentary as well, if you go and watch that, where they will initially record the songs in the most purest direct form and then tear them apart and see if there's a better way or a more interesting way they can deliver the song. So I feel like this song is probably one of the ones that was played in down the line and kept that way. Mm-hmm. And some of the other more experimental ones are the ones he's torn apart with um with Jay Bennett and kind of reinterpreted in, in whatever way.
2: Yeah. Is that is that what he's talking about in the in the doc as well, in the documentary yeah. again? Yeah. So he says there's no reason at all not to destroy it because they they own it. Yeah, they made it, they can destroy it. Yeah. yeah. And that's great. That that's a it's like almost like a deconstructed way of, of making a song, really like You
0: know when you get the the Buddhist monks and they make the mandalas mm. and they might go to certain places. Like sometimes they go to the white house, set up a table and basically with different colored sands will make this massive, like ridiculously beautiful mandala, like drawing mm. out of the sand. And it'll be there for days and days on end. And there'll be like a camera on them. That'll be time-lapse and the whole thing. And these guys are there all day, every day. They go away, have a couple of hour break, come back and do it. It takes them days to make this amazing thing. Once it's done, they just wipe it off the table and it's that like it's to teach impermanence and that things that material things don't last forever what lasts forever is the beauty in creating or whatever like that and so him saying that we made it we can destroy it is kind of what they're showing as well it's like yeah you can make something beautiful but it's yours to destroy if you want
1: to that's very cool
2: well I'm I didn't think we'd talk about Buddhism no 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 here you go but delete all those podcasts that we got before let's just have a one at a time (laughs) sort of deal shall we
0: yeah well why not um, yeah. but yeah we'll get more into that um, this is track three and this is called Radio K.O.
3: Oh,
0: That was track three, Radio Cure.
1: I'm just going to give a straight shout out to um, old Jim O'Rourke. Is that how you say it? Jim O'Rourke, yeah. Who mixed the album. Mm -hmm. And he's a Sonic Youth kind of collaborator, collaborator, right? Yeah. He's worked with Sonic Youth quite a bit yeah he was in luck. lot I think
2: he, was in, I think he might have, he might have was been he in the band in it for a, it for a while. while he's a musician and,
1: yeah. and mixing engineer but yeah. that tune in particular for me I just thought the mix on it was pretty incredible because you've got so many like high dynamic instruments like the drums for example like kind of doing a marching role but he's put it so in the back that it it does something different from what that would actually feel like if the drums were at normal volume
0: yeah yeah he was he played such an important role on this album Jim O'Rourke because you had Jay Bennett who was a big contributor to the whole process and the whole sound of the album. And he was then trying to mix the album and the band weren't particularly, there was a lot of clashing going on and they couldn't really, they didn't really feel like the sound was coming together like a con. And him and Jeff started arguing about things. And then eventually Jeff on the side brought in Jim O'Rourke because he'd played with Jim O'Rourke in a different band before that in between Uncle Tupelo and Wilco, which was um, Jeff's original band. And so he brought him in to just mix one track as like a test mix to just give the band an alternative to listen to. And he came in and mixed uh, the first track, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, and played it to the band. And they all kind of loved it. Mm -hmm. And then he was brought in to do the whole thing. So definitely shout out to him because he's definitely the person that brought it all back together. I read an interesting interview that Jeff did for Rolling Stone with a guy called David Frick. Oh, he's,
2: in, yeah, he's, he seems like a big fan. Yeah. He's in
0: liner notes and he's, he's in, in liner notes. He's in the documentary. Yeah. He's interviewed in that. And he, um, And he looks like he should be in the Ramones as well. He does. He does, doesn't he? He looks yeah. like, yeah, David Ramone. Um, and so he is a big kind of, yeah, he's, he's on the inside with the band and he knows them quite well. And he also is a journalist for Rolling Stone. You should definitely read his article on the album actually from back then. It's, it's great. His wording is really good and he's really witty. And in that interview, he talks with Jeff about mixing the album. And he says, by the end of tracking, um, so he's talking about how he picked the songs apart and, and r- ruined them as we talked about in the last uh, segment. And he says, by the end of tracking, maybe I stre- stretched them beyond breaking point. I literally ob- obliterated a few of them. Then the final process with Jim O'Rourke mixing, I was using his fresh ears and expertise to pick through stuff and bring the songs back into focus, into sharper contrast with the noise. It was like writing a book in yellow on white paper, trying to put it back in black ink. Flipping out, Yeah. So Jim was really important, man. Yeah.
2: But it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, in that documentary, it seems like Jim O'Rourke appears a bit further down the line after they, because they all engineer the project themselves, essentially, yeah. for the most part. But it seems like some of the way that it was being engineered was causing a bit of tension and they needed the, the outside ears of someone like yeah. Jim O'Rourke to, to tie everything together.
0: It seems like that by that point, cracks
2: were starting yeah. to show. And Jim O'Rourke seems like he knows his way around ambient music and um, noise Mm. noisy stuff Mm -hmm. and
0: i mean that's a hard task to be given is to be like can you come in and mix this album we've tried and we want someone to come and do it and getting given that as an album it's like wow that's a lot to pick through and a lot to. and they had all of the stems from before glenn joined the band on drums they had the old drummer some tracks from him so there is some credits to him on the album because his tracks were still there but basically it was from the ground up with jim
2: but the biggest surprise for me on this anyway is that when I think about this album now, I consider this a really warm album. Really, like I could listen to this really quietly and probably
1: yeah, I totally sleep to it
2: almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. but to have an album that is so full of full of different instrumentation, full of clashing things, sounds that aren't normally found on a record, it's really surprising to me that it that it
1: feels that way.
2: And it it, it only gets warmer after having listened to this, you know, six seven times or whatever. Oh, I've,
1: got, I've got such a th- fact that i wanted to say for later it's Go not for a, it. it's not even a fact but well, i think i know why that is why i think <laughs> the thing that underpins this record yeah like nothing else is the acoustic guitar yeah and i, and I think yeah, if, you, if you change that up for electric distorted guitar it would be a completely different album like more abrasive it'd be a much it'd be more, more abrasive. yeah one. it'd be more difficult but things would be sharper and and it wouldn't let things shine and like his vocal a lot of the time is that kind of sleepy melodic tone and i feel mm. like the acoustic guitar just gives room for everything.
0: It's an anchor point, isn't it? It's an it? anchor point for yeah. the really whole album, everything and yeah. And everything yeah. rotates around that. Yeah. yeah. One, of the, uh, one of the lyrics I wanted to pull out to that, one, well, my favorite lyric in the song, I don't go too much into lyrics with Jeff Tweedy because of how much he's explained the process in that they don't necessarily mean too much to him and he allows people to read into it themselves. And so I'm not going to bring his lyrics in and say this is what he was writing about. But what I love is in the chorus, you've got, oh, distance has no way of making love understandable now the line on its own oh distance has no way of making love without understandable on the end is like oh like in a long distance relationship you can't obviously have sex or make love or anything like that as soon as he adds the word understandable on the end the entire sentence changes and has a completely different meaning and I really love that. I love how just one word and the, the space he leaves between love and understanding. I was going to
2: say, yeah, because it's different written down than it is in the way that he delivers it, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And it's just a, a slightly longer pause than you would put in normal conversation. And yeah. that makes the world a difference to me. Yeah.
2: I love his voice on this song in particular, actually, because it's really breaky. And mm-hmm. um, he's right up there and he's he's got this amazing tone that is really vulnerable and... And I didn't realize as well until I watched the do- documentary, just some of it, the sibilances on his S's as mm. well are so delicate, just sort of like hangs them in the side of his mouth. And it's, it, his voice for me is just is so interesting and so intriguing. Yeah,
0: and his delivery and, and everything. Yeah. He's very purposeful with yeah. how he does things, uh-huh. although it feels lazy and kind of underplayed. Yeah, yeah. A beautiful song, man. And it, it, that, that one in particular is one of the more out there, fragmented songs that just feels quite random. And yeah. I love how they are placed in the album every time you feel like you're getting a bit lost, you get pulled back. I, another analogy I had for the album is that it's almost like those really noisy, aggressive kind of awkward moments mm. where you're just about to get, it becomes too much and then it releases you with a nice song. It's like, you know when you go for a massage sure. and they dig in really deep and while, while it's happening, you're like, oh, fuck. And then when they let go, you're like, oh, yeah. man, that relaxation afterwards, and you're like, oh, that feels really good. That's what this album does to mm. me. So they really serve a purpose in the fact that it really chews you up and gets you all tired. And then releases you with a really nice song so with that being said let's move on to a really nice song which is track four and this is war on war That was track four, "War on War."
1: Uh, hands down, bloody good line from um, John Stewart.
2: Yeah, John Stewart. It's
1: yeah. a very McCartney-esque, that isn't it?
2: It is, it, and what he plays uh, the, the instrument he uses as well. Like, what, he, he? Well, he's using like he's, this. He, he uses big hollow body bass, and it sounds like uh, that. Sort because of.
1: I watched this because I didn't watch the documentary, but I watched this performance on Letterman, and he was he had a P bass with a pick. Oh, okay.
0: And, and we, we watched it earlier on Tiny Desk, which is where Chris might be getting that oh. reference from the acoustic version.
1: But um, Just really cool. I love that bass line.
0: It, it's great. And it's weird because with that bass line, like you say, we were watching the Tiny Desk earlier, the very first Tiny Desk, if anyone is going to go back and watch it, we'll link to it. And it's really good. Like when, you, when they start the song, it's just Jeff on the acoustic and he plays just the normal chords. And then the second guitar comes in with a slightly harmonized chord. And it sounds good. But as soon as the bass line comes in, the whole thing wakes up, and it mm-hmm. almost sounds like a totally different song. It's so bizarre how the context of the bass drags it into a totally different space. Like it sounds really good on that. That's a good example of it. It's really nice and light. It's just like
2: bubbling around the place. I think, isn't it? That's that's its purpose. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> gonna pipe some <laughs> some of that song into my ears. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Not too many beers. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I actually uh, can. I'll uh, take or leave this one really oh, yeah really? i it's it's really pretty there's uh, some nice things in there but substance wise i it's just um it's not for me
1: i put i put again it's very digestible and it's more on the pop side, and I think it is like it just it just cruises along this song, yeah, yeah, it and does as, i mean it right was notes.
2: was it the first first and only single first and only single yeah. yeah that's that actually surprised me when I found that as well. this doesn't sound like the Single for me, I mean, maybe through the um, you know, looking back through time, this doesn't you seem as you can look as, back through time. I can, yeah, yeah, I can through the interview. You got bloody the, Bernard's watch, or all, I got Bernard's watch. No, is that what he does? No, he fine, he, pause no. he pauses time. Bernard's watch, um, mm-hmm. Bernard will be listening we as well. We'll, a... we'll just continue talking <laughs> over each other all the time. Good luck on that one, Carl. On the edit, <laughs> contract tasting,
0: contract <laughs> tasting, t- testing, tracing. <laughs> Sorry, carry on.
2: Cheers, Bojo. The little eyes oh, are real. He looks fucked. Fucking Have you seen him at the minute? He looks knackered. No. He's like a dumpy bag of fucking sand with
0: a load I just, of, with a load of anyone, cat shit in it. For something. anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister.
1: I just, I, I, for some reason, I can never get over the two things that I just find incredible is when he got stuck up that zip line. Oh yeah, yeah, which is just amazing. <laughs> With the if flags. You should YouTube that. Anyone who hasn't seen it, he's he's got two British flags. And he's stuck on a zip line halfway through. We'll link to it. And the other one is when he uh, <laughs> rugby tackles someone in a football game. Oh, what it's is like it? a kid. <laughs> yeah. It's just a kid. And he absolutely spoons this kid. Oh. And
0: he can never like whenever he's got to pronounce anything during a conference, he can't do it. So good. A massive taste, contact tasting t- testing. <laughs> so good. Bag
2: of shit. Bag of shit. Yeah, but this surprised me as the um, as the single. Yeah. it... it so I was saying, I was looking back in time and um, some that. of the other songs there don't seem like as much of a gamble for a single. There was this big fuss over this being inaccessible and, and worrying the label, wasn't it? This but, song? Well, no, no. Oh, the, the, the album. Al- the, album sorry. Any, yeah, yeah. the album anyway, but I don't think, I think there's other songs that are accessible um, and, and something that I would have chosen as a single over this one personally.
0: I guess we should... Top and tail the label situation because the album came up came up against a lot of struggles in its creation and inception. Um, so yeah, do you want to take that explanation, Chris, or what went on in that? I world? can do
2: my best, and then you can tell me when I get it wrong, Carl. If you I won't. would never do that. <laughs> no, please, please tell me if I get it wrong. Okay, I will absolutely. So do that. I guess um, it starts. Stop it! The... Wrong. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! So I guess it starts with um, the band being on reprise, mm-hmm. um, who are a subsidiary. Of Warner, the Warner Music Group, WMG,
0: Time Warner, Time Warner, at the time, at the bought time. by AOL. Yeah.
2: Okay. Thanks very much, Carl. See, thank you for correcting me. Sorry. Uh. So they're on. Um, Sorry. So they're on. Uh, reprise Um. They and they're funded to make the album. Uh, I know that Jay in the documentary says they're given eighty-five thousand dollars to make an album and left to their own devices that they haven't got anybody um, leaning over their shoulders as far Sounds as like I can a fucking dream doesn't it here's <laughs> 85 big
1: ones can you imagine just do what you want to do
2: why don't you just go up in your loft and just spend as long as you like making an album and with 50 guitars on your walls all that sort of stuff anyway so they they make the album um I guess eventually get Jim O'Rourke in after having engineered everything themselves as, as well so they're making everything at their own pace uh complete the album send it off get nothing back um I guess chase it up and when they hear something back uh, they are not happy this uh, reprise um, I think they they're um, a little straight maybe for the, the concept of the album perhaps maybe it's a bit out of their um, out of their field maybe. yeah from
1: what I've read it was the the ex-president of the label was a big fan so the president that was a big fan of the band left mm-hmm. and it was passed down it was basically passed down the chain to some A&R guys uh, one of them is called David Kane I believe who yeah or David Kahn yeah Kahn sorry who was the head A&R for them. And then it was uh, Mio Vukovic, who actually, I think, actually was talking to the band about, you know, the, their angle and their approach and was just like, guys, this isn't, this isn't doing it for us.
0: Mm. Which yeah, is they hated
2: it. Yeah, so nuts. So, they, so they've got to that point. And then I think are politely asked to leave Reprise. Um, yeah, following... out the back door. They yeah. were just like, yeah.
0: so it was given to Reprise. Then the A&R didn't like it. The band said, well, they, they went back and I think the way Tukovich described it was that the vocal sounded too masked was what he said to the band. The band couldn't make any sense of that. So they just pushed back saying, well, we're not changing it. So, Yeah, he's bloody wrong. The vocals are sick. Yeah. So he, they, they sent it back and was like, listen, we're not changing anything unless you give us some real direct input here. Obviously, Mio just being a normal A&R executive passed it up the chain to his boss, David Kahn, who said, if you're not going to do it, then maybe we should just leave this relationship here because mm-hmm. they were a lot of money in the pot, into the pit, sorry, and then for them to then go and promote it. Because at that point on the album, they were $200,000 in the hole, not just from the recording, but just from everything in general. And being that, being so far in the hole, they weren't willing to put any more money in. So they are like, maybe we just cut our losses and let this go. So they terminated the contract, um, which is a real shame. It's It's crazy to think that something like that could happen after all of that money going in and then just disappearing. So the band moved away from the label. They agreed to go their separate ways with it and eventually ended up putting the album onto their website and streamed it for people to hear only temporarily. Then it came back down and the band eventually penned a deal with a label called non records who were a subsidiary of Warner, which is really interesting because when they separated with reprise records they, their lawyer at the time managed to build in a clause where they could take away Yankee Hotel Foxtrot with them. And I think that cost like an extra $50,000 for the buyout. And that would essentially mean that they came away with the album. So they turned up to a new label with an album ready to go to a label that loved the music. And basically the label gave them a massive advance out of Warner's pocket. So Warner paid for the album over and over and over and over. And that is a yeah, success yeah. in artistic integrity, Wow, people.
1: Um, quick ice cream break. Um, it's this is a funny one because um, <laughs> I read none such records as Nooney Souch Records, which, which is uh, Nooney Sooch? Yeah, and I was like, wow, what an interesting label name. Just like uh, a good friend of my mum's. Uh, when we were younger, we had we always wore DC shoes, and um, <laughs> DC it's well DC Shuka USA. That's what the the whole brand's called. My mum's friend pronounced it DC Shakuzas. So I've always called DC Shoes, DC Shakuzas. <laughs> so, boys, can you put your DC Chacuzzas on? That's great. Is that really all? Shakuzas oh yeah. Sh- Shout out Sally C.
2: Chacuzzas should be shorthand or longhand for shoe anyway. should not get your on? Get your Amazing, on? Isn't
1: it? Anyway, I've got one more point to make before we move on. And I read a quote from Jeff and he said, uh, in relation to this song, you have to accept failure, you have to learn to die. It's a mad thought we hold on to failure so hard, but it's inevitably part of life. And I thought that was, you know, you could directly relate that to their album being completely shunned from the label.
0: That's really interesting, yeah, because in the documentary they seem to take it really well. Mm. Like considering they've just had their rug pulled so hard and their and the dream smashed in front of them, they take it really well and they come back stronger and it's just, yeah, that's a really, really good point, yeah. Um let's all have a chew on it whilst we move on to track 5 which is called Jesus etc. Track five, Jesus, etc.
1: Um, I just want to start this one off with a reference, actually, because I thought there was such a strong reference to an album called Harlequin Dream by Boy and Bear. Oh, yeah. And I know I showed you that, Carl, a while back, and mm-hmm. it's it was a very big album for me. It was In 2013, it was released, but vocally, m- musically, everything, I, I would be stunned if Boy and Bear didn't heavily reference this album for that. Is this
2: their vibe? Because I just know them oh, bang on. Uh,
0: by name only, so yeah. I don't know anything about
1: them. Very much their vibe. Vocally, musically.
0: Yeah, yeah. less experimental, but very, yes. like in the songs that are down the line on this album, it's very, yeah, Boy and Bird definitely oh. must have been. Listening.
2: Well, that excites me because this is, is up there for me. I, I think this song is, is fantastic. Like the sound of it, it might be where it's sat in the album. It might be the way that it feels off the back of, um, of War on War. Because yeah. it all of a sudden becomes much more focused and much more tight, um, almost within a room. Like it's all of the all of the really noisy stuff is is sort of abandoned during this song. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot of instrumentation. Some really really decent lap steel, like beautiful lap steel, and obviously the strings are so luxurious, so rich.
0: Arranged by the bass player John
2: Stirrett. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah, I. I, there's something about this. It's it's so longing and it's so emotional. It's beautiful. It's poetic. The it's, chorus, it's, yeah. The
0: lyric in the chorus is beautiful. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's a lot of talk. So this was supposed to be released on the 11th of September in 2001, wasn't it? It was, it was slated for for September 11th mm. of that year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was supposed
0: and, to come out right on 9/11. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and and some of the lyrics, really, especially on this um, on this song. I mean, there's other places in the album, but it really alludes to some of that stuff, which is really, really freaky. Yeah. it's
1: so freaky. And I, and I suppose that's what you were saying, Carl, as well, like in terms of Jeff said that lyrics are so, his lyrics are totally open to interpretation, but so many websites, so many people are like, this is
0: creepy. Yeah, yeah. patterns and randomness. I mean, look at the album cover. I don't know whether you've looked at the yeah. um, like Twin the artwork for, for it, but it's the two, it's the Marina City Towers in Chicago is what it is, but it's essentially just a picture of two towers. Um, for an album to be released on two thousand and one, obviously the conspiracy theorists um couldn't believe their eyes and ears,
2: but it was addressed by Jeff, and he said if if anyone found consolation in this song, uh, particularly then then you know he's he's flattered I guess because because everything was done, everything was everything was ready to go, you know, before before um, that day. Mm-hmm. But the chorus, you know, tall buildings shake, voices escape, singing sad sad songs um tuned to chords strung down your cheeks which i think is a a beautiful line anyway those those three lines you know there's such a inherent sadness in there but but there is elements of support and um reliance in the rest of the song i, I don't know there's this just something that's so yeah just i don't know wistful and um and, yeah am really lush no. it's a stunning song it's beautiful yeah. it's haunting as well it's yeah. there's yeah, so much it to is. it yeah it's yeah it's so sad and i every time i get to it i'm i'm just so happy that i'm at that point in a in a in a strange way you know mm-hmm. in a, in a
0: melancholic but, but safe
2: sort of way yeah. in the album.
0: And although there's a lot going on, if you took one element out of it, whether it's the strings or the, or the organ or anything, it would fall apart. It's, it's very much everything in there is there for a reason and it all comes together with, with that.
1: Ah, uh, Carl. Go ahead. Facts for you. Oh, yes, I've got a good one. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and <laughs> Here we gentlemen. Go. Buckle up. Get ready! Um, according to Jay Bennett The song was originally titled The much more logical Jesus Don't Cry But he got lazy one night And labelled the CD Jesus Etc Is that right? To save him time And Hassler Write the entire title And the name Stirk. Wow That is a solid fact Charlie. That is pretty good Love Tune that. in next week We've been Between the Tracks Here we go
2: <laughs> <on>. <laughs> <Goodbye>. <laughs> just, Are you working up to Bringing amazing facts Like episode 100 It's, it's Charlie's Really batshit crazy facts No they're always Going to be crap that's not that wasn't a crap one. You're gonna have to really. Oh, work, you're gonna have to work less hard. At this. He's going. Mm. He's
0: going for the under promise,
2: over deliver philosophy. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Now, following your shit fact, stunning I've got a fact. shit question. Now, was that a fiddle that's being played or a violin? And is there a difference? Is there? I think so. One
0: smaller, right? I don't know. No, one has to have gone to Ireland before. Oh yeah, one has to have been rubbed on a leprechaun. I yeah, think it you it is. Ha-
1: no, you have to have taken the violin. Over the Irish border, and then it's a fiddle.
0: But what's being
2: played on this song? I think it's a violin. No, it's a fiddle, isn't it? I don't know. It's it's played in the manner of a fiddle.
1: It is (laughs) played. Is the manner of the fiddle? It could be a fiddle. It's like a little bit more like pokey or something. I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna check
2: this while we
0: listen to (laughs) while Chris figures while Chris figures out whether it was a violin or a fiddle. Let's move on to track six, which is Ashes of American Flags.
3: tomorrow, how will it ever come? All my lies are always wishes. I know I would die I can come back new.
0: Track six, Ashes of American Flags. And my favorite song on the album. Wow. Yeah, man. Beautiful. Up there, yeah, up there for me as well. Beautiful. Sh- okay, right. Cry to this Here you one. go
1: then. This is funny because I thought you were going to shoot me for this, but you can't because you're from there. I put down as a reference, Beatles.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right? You know what? Actually, the kind of um, dreamy kind of bit of it. Yeah, oh, yeah I'll give you that. of Strawberry Fields in there. Yeah. Fair enough on that. There you go.
2: I like it. It was um, It was another Modest Mouse-ish song for me.
0: Have you got mm-hmm. shares in Mother's Mouse? Uh, no, I,
2: I know, I know. I've, they've come up. Well, that that's come up a lot. But look, I said this to you, Carl, and I haven't talked to you about this yet, Charlie. But this podcast, even though we've only done four episodes, I keep finding these links between all the albums that we've done.
1: No, yeah, yeah.
2: Do you want me to explain?
1: Are we are we like without knowing, like part of the bloody what's it called, Illuminati? Yeah, possibly.
2: I don't know. I, maybe Contrast. one of us has got, taste. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of us has got a you know a membership, and it's just like. You know, by, right. by association. Shall I? Can I explain what they are? Can were?
1: I just do think one thing? Love and air between you and me. Go on. Number between one and hundred. Three, two, one. Sixty-three. Good. Yeah. Okay, we're all good. Cheers. Well Cheers. done to
2: you. Um, no, what it what it is is the first two albums that we had. We had Snail Mail and we had Manchester Orchestra. Now, on both of those albums, and we didn't mention it in either of the podcasts, which is a bit of a shame. Both of those albums contain a song that was recorded in Simlish, right? Yeah. The Sims language. Okay. That's weird enough, off the cuff. That's a really weird thing. Next. Any chance of an impression of Simlish? Uh, Paragonese. Okay, that's all right. Yeah, go on. I mean, that's one of the lines in the Snail Mail version of Pristine. Right? So those two are linked. Then the next two albums, Prince and Into This Album. First of all, Prince performs on The Muppets. Yeah? Yeah. Then on the documentary, Yeah. Jeff Tweedy talks about meeting the Muppets, Right? And now the Muppets are everywhere anyway, because they're on Disney Plus and stuff, right? Yeah. So that's another thing that's linked these two albums together. And then also, there's a comedian called Fred Armisen, right?
1: Yeah.
2: He is on the podcast that I listen to, to research Prince, because he's a big Prince fan. And he's also on the documentary for this album, Ooh, doing shit. an impression as a, of a Mexican guy. Wow. I'm, I'm a bit scared. You know, what if one of these albums that we choose kills someone? You know?
1: Like the, we'll rename this. Like between the. Uh, Go on, Charles. We 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 we, 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 we that
2: Could be. Anyway, that's contract
1: contract con con contract contract taste contact tasting, contract taste. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: but I. I re... Oh, sorry. Oh, that's...
2: am I the boring one? Fuck, I'm the boring one. Yeah, you are that guy. I'm the cool one. Are you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> See ya.
2: Um, as you were, people, as you were.
0: But yeah, beautiful song, man. I, I do love it. it. It gives me, yeah, it gives me goosebumps every time I listen to it. In any of these songs, you have to invest your own emotion in it because you can't latch onto any from Jeff because he separates himself from it. And so, with that, I find a lot of comfort in these albums because I harvest a lot of emotion into them. Sometimes, when you know too much about an album or the reason it was, the songs were particular songs were written, you lose a bit of sentimental emotional attachment to them because you've been given the meaning that's why to me artists and social media and all that stuff is too artists are too accessible these days you can know too much about them and that kind of separates the mystical magicness of of music and so
1: there there was a a few lyrics in that this song that really got me and i thought it was a lovely description of a kind of horrible event and jeff talks about how he suffers from anxiety and panic attacks And some of the lyrics in this were, I'm down on my hands and knees every time a doorbell rings, which I thought was amazing. I shake like a toothache when I hear myself sing. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a really amazing way of describing, you know, when you're that anxious, you know, any loud sound or anything, you're just... Yeah, yeah. Sends you over
2: the top. We return to the sort of self-deprecating things as well that he he does in, in all those earlier songs, which tend to be the lines that I like you know, similar to what you were saying there, Charlie, you know, that, that line. And I wonder why we listen to poets when nobody gives a fuck. I'm, I'm imagining he's talking about himself. He's the poet. And, you know, why would anybody care about yeah, right. him? I, I love the way that, all the, that he does all of those things. And he's really angry. It's really refreshing for him to be really angry in this yeah. song. At the start, I'm in the verses and stuff, the, the first few lines are, are really, really good and really visual, really literal when he's trying to get a cash machine to work and he has to pay the, the charge. And then he describes what he probably could have bought instead with the charge. Um, it's just really funny. It's, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's I like that. Yeah, it's really humorous and, uh, yeah, and self, self-deprecating and angry. And
0: it's nice. I mean, his lyrics always blow my mind. I, I mean, a good quote, he does an interview with, I think it's again with David Frick from Rolling Stone. And this is talking about lyrics. He says, when I listen to other people's songs, I'm never particularly interested in knowing what lyrics are supposed to be about, especially after I've already found them to mean something to me. He says, knowing this about himself now might have given him the confidence not to sweat being too clearly understood lyrically in the past. Most songs are open to interpretation anyway, so why not leave a few more gaps for listeners to fill in with their imagination? And I love that, and that is music in a nutshell to me. It's like, it can be beautiful, and it can be a moment in time, be that three minutes of a song, but within that time, it can mean whatever it needs to to you, and knowing too much about a song can ruin that. It can can emphasize it because you can have some form of empathy from a hero or an artist. But a lot of the time, the reason music is so therapeutic is because you're investing your own emotions into it and hiding little parts of your life. And that's why music breeds so much nostalgia. When you listen to a song from a long time ago, the emotions harvested in that could be youth, could be a particular relationship, could be a particular emotional state. You get vacuumed back to that time when you listen to it again in the future. And that's the beauty of it for me. And that's why I love his... Lyrics is because they're so random that you can find meaning in them, and they they become little kind of seeds. So yeah, I do love that about this Ryan: Tell you what, that's
2: a beautiful little. Uh, <laughs> that's irrefutable, Miolaka. Well,
0: yes. I appreciate that, man. Um, let's uh, let's move on to a nice upbeat track. This song does have a bit of a story about it lyrically, so we'll get to that in a second. But this is track seven, heavy metal drummer. Thank
3: sincerely miss those heavy metal bands used to go see on the landing in the summer she fell in love with the drummer she fell in love with
0: another she fell in love that was track seven heavy metal drummer false advertising that false advertising yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were expecting a joey george yeah, I, I, really, I
2: needed it man i needed it lovely song
0: nice, oh yeah poppy fun happy joyous and, the only happy Joyous. song on the album?
1: Possibly. Question mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, you exclamation mark. You
0: tell me, mark. you tell me. It could be, actually. It's his kid's favorite song, Jeff Tweedy's kid's favorite song, for obvious reasons. The rest of them probably terrify them. <laughs> 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 but there's, a, um, there's an interesting story behind this one. Do you know lyrically and anything about this one? Um, it
1: was the old boy going um, to the riverside, right, in St. Louis to go and...
0: Listen to some bands, right? Yeah. So he was in a band called Uncle Tupelo. And when they would play, they would always watch the support band or the band after them from the side of the stage. And they would be stood there in like the kind of flannel shirts and all very snobby is how he describes himself and the band at the time. And they would watch these heavy metal bands come out and like hair metal. So they'd be wearing like leotards and skin tight stuff and have bleach blonde hair. And he would describe how he would judge them and think that oh, that's just not real music. But he'd be watching them and they'd be having such a good time and such a fun time. And he says that like disapproving of bands like that at the time felt cool to him. But in future, looking back, they were having a much better time than he was. And he says, and I quote him, that's the kind of bullshit I need to remind myself not to indulge in, doing that through song if needs be. And I think that is a beautiful little... Reminder for him. He's like, you know, don't act like an arsehole. Remember that. Having fun in whatever form, just because it might not look fun to you doesn't mean that it's I think that's a wise takeaway in itself though. It's a wise yeah. takeaway with everything, I think. And like music
1: for sure, but I always say it in um sorry, I've got to relate to something else and it's surfing. And it's that's so okay. many it's okay. professional surfers say the best surfer is the one having the most fun. Yeah. Out in the lineup. So and, go, I, yeah, and, well, I think, and with
0: anything, you take it too seriously and it's like Yeah.
2: I wish, yeah, I wish it was easier to feel that way because you do do that, don't you? And you and you definitely do that with music. You know, you you're you're sort of like your own gatekeeper almost, and you don't, especially when you're younger. You know, you you don't want to let on that you might like this and you might like that. Well, but, this
0: album really signified that for me actually because the guy who showed me it at that up until that point I was a rock guy. It was '90s grunge, or it was. Alternative rock. It was kind of the more the heavy stuff, and it was very much a nutshell. And anything other than that was uncool. Mm. or was indie shit or was modern crap, and no one's making any good music anymore. And the only good stuff was in the '90s, and we need a movement. And but you were still heavily to,
1: into Bewitched at the time, weren't you?
0: Of course, secretly, I would, yeah. I would have a, uh, a Sony Walkman. Yeah, with Bewitched Greatest Hits on it. Okay. Um, but yeah, that um definitely does signify that turning point for me. This album, uh, Jeff Tweedy did describe this song as being the sweet yearning for an innocence that has passed does anyone else have anyone anything else on that track before we move on I think we can go into the next track and I love the, the intro to this next track too I this... put on
1: my notes fuck yeah the intro <laughs> 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 then fuck yeah the intro for me fuck, too fuck go! yeah the intro
0: this is track 8 I'm the man in the That was track i I'm the man who loves you. She sounds all right, doesn't she? She's got to be. She's gotta be assault, she got to be a salt, isn't she?
1: Eels, 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 eels.
0: Is that how you get on that that one
2: as
1: well? Daisy of the Galaxy 2000. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah all, all day, long. day long. Did you get
0: eels as well? I got Beck from this. A lot of Beck. Oh, that's a good shot. Oh. too. Especially the, the acoustic slide guitar, like um, yeah. like Loser and stuff like that. I yeah. went older. I I thought this was like, I thought this was.
2: It's not quite as fun as a lot of the stuff that Bob, Di- Bob Dylan does, but it sounds like when Bob Dylan's been really dirty, that sound like, mm-hmm. uh, he yeah, yeah. does like a song called Masters of War and it's like something like that. But that, that guitar sound is fucking amazing. You know? I just said
1: to Carl, being our man who knows about sound most, but I reckon that's squished to shit. That It just sounds, I don't even know how you'd achieve that. Yeah, gain all so the way up cool. and then compress that
2: puppy. I can't believe I like this song as much as I do. Mm. I it's, love this song. This
1: might be my favorite. Is it? It's, it is great. Is
2: this your usual bag?
1: Yeah, yeah. How definitely. about you, Chris?
2: Well, it, it's it's almost like a 12, 12 bar blues. Like that—that's mm-hmm. what really fr- throws me is that it's not because some of the bars are cut short, some of them are extended, but you're you're working around the same chords, and it almost sounds throwaway. It almost sounds like you're in a room where it's like having a, a good old laugh, but like it's done in such a fun way. I think I am like, I am led in by this, the intro. I love, yeah. I love that cut going into it. Mm. And they do that throughout the, the, um, the entire album anyway. And there's a whole source of contention at one point where between Jeff and uh, Jay, they're trying to work out where to cut and where to mix up to anyway. Yeah, But that's because that's what they do. Some of these songs start in a way, in a sound, in an environment. And then with a click, it will be like, oh, and this song's really poppy. Mm-hmm. joyous yeah yeah bubbly whereas yeah like at the start of this song it's not that it's really it's really grimy it's like neil young or something and then you get like oh
0: hang on We're, yeah, yeah yeah what the hell is this but yeah it's such a weird tone it gives me jack white vibes as well the guitar yeah tone, the franticness of it and the yeah of, it's, it's it's one of a those shitload of energy isn't it yeah but it's one of those tones that feels like an accident it feels like it's out of control but it's really in control and jack white was always a master of that for me
1: well then that perfectly leads on to the lyrical content of this song, I think, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's exactly what the lyrics of this song are about, like the frustration in not being able to convey his feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, the thought of a touch saying a million words, you know, if he could hold her hand, she'd understand that he's the man that loves her. Just, you know, that he can't convey his feelings straight down the line in words and that he wishes that different things would give her that. Yeah. Give her those feelings. Mm hmm. And I talked about prosody the week before. Yes, you did talk about there's, prosody. There's even in the, the guitar solo, there, he kind of fluffs notes. But I don't know if it's not a fluff, but he's intentionally playing wrong notes. Yeah. Which I think like shows you like frustration mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and everything, which I feel like the track's full of, even though it feels quite joyous. It's a really
0: good, really good point, yeah.
1: I feel like the guitars are like, ugh, mm-hmm.
0: fuck. Well, all the
2: lyrics anyway in the verses are about not being able to get ideas across, not being able to write them down. Um... I, l- I love that he's got that line that I was meaning to send you. Like, he's got something that's all written down he still hasn't sent it or <laughs> Yeah. But like again, all of my favorite lines in this are just him when he's laying into himself, really. Yeah, I love, I song, love this man. song. It's a lovely song. It's made me smile, in like, massively. For the, for the Not for the first time in the album, but
1: the most in the album. This must have been super popular, though. Surely this is one of their really popular tunes. I'm looking at you, I, Carl. I don't, I, don't, I don't actually know because... Oh, hang on. This is
2: their most played song live.
1: Really? Ooh, that says a lot. Good fact. Yeah, yeah.
0: I hope that's right. I've, I've got a number one written at it because that is one of the... I bet you it's fun live, this one. It probably is. But yeah, I don't know if it's its most popular. I mean, I guess that's hard to tell without having the numbers because they only put one single out. Kind of hard to get a grip on what is the most popular. I mean, I think looking at the fan base and kind of delving into those forums and stuff, it seems like a lot of people do listen to this album view this album as an entire project that they listen to rather than
2: picking out songs but it's definitely a favorite i'm well i am going to say that it is the most played and so that probably means they've played it about 1500 times because they do gig a lot so yeah um
0: they have a they have a weird prince like work ethic where they kind of write an album release it tour it and then whilst on tour are writing the next batch of songs come straight home back in the loft record it Repeat, rinse and repeat their idea of a holiday as getting back into the studio this sounds like they've Great. got in and this is day one where it's like let's just that's push just gonna, this out yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah yeah yeah.
2: really enjoy it yeah yeah lovely song um lovely loved it
0: anyone got anything else on that before we crack on
2: no we can go forward if
0: how you. will you pot kettle black on
1: crickets surely
0: <laughs> that's not how the joke works <laughs> right, right we're moving on this is track nine pot kettle black i will pot kettle black on for you Joey. that was track nine Pock kettle black
1: do you know what the definition of that saying is the definition is something you say that means people should not criticize someone else for a fault that they have themselves
2: i like that you've bounced back from last week not knowing what ducks in a row getting your ducks in a row is <laughs> and here you come back no i had to look that the, one up the comeback kid <laughs> with the idiom speak he's come back did you knowing, have to look up Pock kettle black
0: yeah, yeah. Did, yeah, you, did like, you not? Did you, so you it? say it's like it's like no. it's like pot calling it's
2: kettle like, black? Yeah, it's like the the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, right. That's like you know, if I was really cool, right? God, you and were, then you I bet you, wish you, were. you called me cool. You're like, oh, you're so fucking cool. Yeah. Then I would be like, well, that's like the pot calling the kettle black, mate. Because you're also cool, but you'd normally do it in a negative way, right? And, and when i
1: not cool, <laughs> I'm even more confused now. I literally started off with like. Yeah, guys, you know what this means. Now I have I'm confused again. Did we just listen
2: to a song? we did just oh, listen yeah. to a song. We listened to uh, a <laughs> yeah. Cattle Black. That's a nice little number as well, isn't it, actually? Lovely. All of the as once you get into the second half, it does um actually land some, some big tunes. Yeah. It does,
0: yeah. And and that's such a weird thing because they don't front load the album, they spread them all out and it kind of gets less experimental for that little middle section, it kind of gains some clarity for mm. these few songs. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is this is the track that I put you know the acoustic guitar super pivotal pivotal yeah consent can I click can I click contract taste contact tasting i said that the acoustic guitar was super pivotal
2: <laughs> contract taste contact tasting don't you dare move your hand from that button Carl.
1: You, you want to try again right, third time this song is the one that i said the acoustic guitar is super <laughs> contract taste contact tasting <laughs> it's super pivotal on super to nice. the album because I feel like this song could sound a lot heavier if it wasn't played on an acoustic guitar. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank God, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> it is, that, that acoustic is the anchor point. Um, I'm going to use anchor as a segue, right? So I did some looking into the name of the album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and found this website linked by a fan somewhere down the line. And it was a link to all the marine nautical flags and their meanings. So each one obviously has a phonetic um, letter, you know, alphabet or whatever, and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And each one of them has a meaning to it. So like the call signs over a radio, if you said a particular letter in phonetic, it would send a message. And so Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in this list of nautical flags means Yankee is I am dragging anchor. So like um, okay, I have yeah. a problem. Hotel is I have a captain on board. And Foxtrot is I am disabled, communicate with me no yep that's wow. what it is then there you go so that I've not seen that anywhere I had to dig down deep for that mate. one so yeah so it's really interesting I'll link to that in the show notes if you go find uh, go have a look through that it's really cool that is good mate that was doing my
2: head in not knowing what that
0: meant yeah whether that is a stretch and that's just drawing connotations who knows but
2: who cares it's fucking cool man that is a, that is some good 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 research
0: ah, will thank you very
3: much
2: I did think this song sounded amazing in, the, in headphones, like listening to this before having spoken oh, yeah. about it. The voices, and I say voices, but it'll be Jeff multi-tracked or whatever. They sound great a- alongside the guitar as well, but they sound really, really close to you. It's, mm. it's, um, he's, he's clearly right up against this mic- microphone. And some of the guitar sounds as well are so, so satisfying. Oh my
1: God, the guitar part after the line, A String I Never Strum. I literally straight up my arms shot up, goosebumps, which is, mm. you know, we talked about the other week and I think it's quite rare on first listen, but I was like, oh, like it really got me. And I know it, it's played a few times in the song, but that that guitar line is very, very lovely. Yeah, it's really, really, Where it's really placed pretty.
2: as well. It's amazing know? how instruments can do that, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. In terms of what I heard in it though, I, as soon as I'd heard it, actually I heard two things. One would be interesting to you, Carl. One, I actually heard a Smashing Pumpkins song in this one. Oh, go on. <laughs> There's definitely a, a song that begins similar to that. I'll have to dig it out, but I don't know what it is. But more so, um, it was the Cure. This this has got the Cure sound all over it. Yeah, um, Friday I'm in love.
0: Yeah, maybe, uh, um, maybe. But
2: I, I'm I'm just thinking if that is the right song or
1: not. Gotta be.
0: Maybe. I had a, um, a out there reference for this one in terms of songs that I it reminded me of. Mine was the Pina Colada song. Pray tell. Oh. So. In the verses, the way he delivers the lyrics, the, nah, 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 nah. in the, in the Pina Colada right. song, you've got, like I want a recording from a favorite song. It has the same kind of throwaway phrasing at the end where it starts to climb down. I see. We'll put it in the playlist. If anyone thinks I'm an absolute buffoon for saying that, let us know. If anyone thinks you're an absolute Boris Johnson about it, we'll let you know. Contract. Yeah, well, there you go. So that was my reference. <laughs> my but reference
1: the, was um, Atomic Kitten, The Tide is High, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very similar also.
0: Yeah. We'll pay the bangles for that. We'll put that in the playlist. <laughs> That'll be in the playlist. That'll be Charlie's contribution to the playlist. Finally, my favorite
2: line of the, um, of the song, I myself have found a real rival in myself. So another real self-deprecating, self-analyzing lyric. I've got all this stuff highlighted in purple here on my document. And um, what is it with me here? I'm, shout and, out and Prince. <laughs> shout, yeah, the, the Prince effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> give us the hour. <laughs> <laughs> still, he's still got it, still got it. That's better this week, actually.
3: Yeah.
2: I was <laughs> I doing practicing. All, I was doing it all week last week and I was worn out. Should we go on to the next song there, Carl?
0: Yeah, so let's move on to track 10, which is called Poor Places.
3: He takes all his words from the books that you don't read anyway. His jaw's been broken his bandage is wrapped too tight His bags have been home and I really want to see you tonight
0: Okay that was track 10 Poor Places
2: Receiving loud and clear Carl <laughs> Oh receiving
0: grooves Now that is an interesting song and I'll maybe I mean, are you guys okay if I get into the whole deep, dark, shortwave radio you, thing? Yeah, You've just defined the term,
2: you know, the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot terminology anyway. So you may as well do this one.
0: All right then. Well, so during the war of the cold variety. your bloody little Noel. <laughs> <laughs> there was basically these transmissions which were called um, shortwave radio transmissions, which is a really interesting phenomenon because no one has ever claimed these as being transmitted by them. So you can go and look into what shortwave is and look into what these number stations were doing. But basically, there were transmissions and they were believed to be countries and governments communicating with deployed spies by using codes that were transmitted over shortwave radio, intercepted. And the thing about them is they were completely untraceable. So you could tune into them, receive the message. No one would know who's received it and no one would know where it came from. So back in the Cold War, that was used quite a lot. And this, the Kona project or the Kone project was a group of people who basically intercepted those recordings, took all of the static out of them and kind of decoded them into audible recordings. And in that song that we just listened to, Poor Place, the band sampled one of those recordings, which is a repetitive transmission of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which I did bring in with me for reference. So this is what the original Kone recording sounds like. Yeah. is fucking terrifying
1: oh, that literally scares the shit out yeah, of so the reason
0: so it's a whole five disc recording there's there's like f- hundreds of these songs hundreds of these recordings sorry and they're so eerie and so spine tingling no one's claimed them like the ones in czech republic are still happening now they're still transmitting now no one knows where from no one knows for how long they're just still there I was just gonna make, that's
2: gonna shiver up my spine yeah. just, just the sound of that against
1: just, so the are still, still
0: going on. The, Czech, the Republic. Czech Republic ones are still going, and no one knows where to find them to turn it off or anything like that. So, you, so you in know, the Czech
1: Republic, you can tune into that.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's still happening. And there's there's hundreds of them. You got them in Japanese. You got them in hundreds of different languages. So they isn't were they? yeah, they were used everywhere. And I went into this website and down this rabbit hole, seeing so looking at all the machines that would interpret them. And some of them were built into briefcases. So like someone a spy could be walking with a briefcase, and inside it is a receiving shortwave machine that they could go into like a hotel open it, turn it on, intercept a message, close the briefcase and walk back out. So it was kind of really super interesting. And I'll I'll link to all of that crazy stuff for anyone who wants to dig down on it. The record label that claimed these recordings was a label that was called um, Erdeal Discs, I think they were called. And basically they owned the recordings at the British record label. um, And they released all of these recordings for free for reference material in 1997. Now, Wilco took that as artistic license to put that in the track, which was all good and well. However, Oedial Disc sued Wilco for the use of this recording, and Wilco settled out of court with them. Basically, they paid them royalties from the track, and also paid their court fees. So all the legal fees were covered, and they paid some royalties to Oedial Discs. They can't use it live anymore, but it, can, it could remain on the album and that was all kind of dealt with. But that whole shortwave thing is a rabbit hole to go down, man. It's crazy. I'm uh, not sure. I don't, think, I don't think I want to do that. It is yeah, one of those things where you look over your shoulder when you sat at your laptop looking at it. It's so weird, but I will link to it because I'm sure there's some people out there who find it interesting. But yeah, that's Did, where that sample at the end of the song came from. And that's where my whole perception of the album, the tuning in and out of frequencies and things becoming clearer and unclear and the, whole, the name of the album and all that stuff is all tied into that theme for me.
2: <laughs> like you're going down this rabbit hole, sat in your scrubs in bed and you're like, fuck, going out to the kitchen, getting some tape and put some tape over the camera <laughs> <on> you, <laughs> over the webcam.
0: Like, fuck this. Putting a tiny tinfoil hat on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's watching me on the other end of this? <laughs> Shit. Get this tape over. This.
1: Oh God. <laughs> Have you guys done that before? The old uh, tape over the
2: lens? Uh, n- uh, no, I'm not. My life isn't, isn't deemed interesting enough to be spied upon.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm, uh, precious enough. And anyone who is, like, yeah, me. me neither. about people <laughs> me being <neither>. like, <laughs> 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 everyone who's terrified of like, oh, well, I, the other day I was talking to a friend about wanting to buy a mattress, and then suddenly I was getting advertised mattresses on Instagram. It's like, you're not that special. They're not listening on a microphone and translating that into advertisements. You've probably just been on a website that has a <laughs> Facebook pixel on it, yes. and it's showed you some advertisements. Get over yourself. That's it's not that it important. Whoa. And you know what? If they are and you can and you're concerned about your privacy that much, go download a tall browser or something. But I quite like it, man. If I need something in my life and it's very conveniently advertised to me on Instagram. Great, man. Thank you for saving me the journey from going out of Instagram into Safari. It's a load of bollocks. So, I I like it, man. I'm I'm happy to be fucking sold to. You're right, mate. You're right. Everything's you all right. I had to just get that one off my chest, though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where it came from. <laughs>
2: all right, so you 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 accept the cookies. That's
1: fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Allow all is You're my one thing. of those guys that allows and all. You should have been it's the allow fine. all cookies. do
0: <laughs> Um, and so you stay was, tuned
1: for Carl's New Podcast <laughs> allow, the allow cookies. all cookies allow
0: all cookies you can basically call me up I'll just sit here with the phone and you can just call me up and try and sell me stuff that you think I need <laughs> um, you can be broke absolutely broke after it. <laughs> so moving on from that um, like I say I'll link to all that stuff if anyone wants to go through it um, all the kind of noisy parts of the album and all of that experimental stuff is mostly attributed to Jay Bennett who after the album was finished was sacked from the band essentially by Jeff because they just weren't getting on. And that in itself is an interesting story. Mm. Uh, Does anyone want to take the Jay Bennett side of things? I
2: mean, I would just say that what surprised me when I was watching the documentary is that the disdain for him seems really quite apparent, but I think that's just the way that the documentary is framed. And having watched the documentary and then found out a little more, I at least feel like he's, done a little bit of a disservice in the documentary perhaps like I, I understand that he's coming to the end of his tenure at the band he yeah he he is he's sacked right he's, mm-hmm. he's although he does say that he's gonna he he was gonna just leave anyway. to the punch and he was gonna leave anyway that's what they all say well i guess they do um but what surprised me as i went through you know reading a, a bit more about wilco as a band is that jay brought a lot you know i think now the, the very little i know about wilco is that i think wilco and i think Jeff jeff tweedy even I, as little as i know about wilco i know that jeff tweedy fronts that band but sounded like jay was a little bit bigger than than that would suggest you know i read about him being compared to john lennon against um jeff tweedy's paul mccartney for example you know the, yeah, he
0: co-wrote every song on this apart from track one 7, eleven. right okay well they uh, so it was definitely a mutual thing and he was possibly done a disservice by the documentary but the documentary also did show how difficult he could be to work with.
2: It makes me feel a little squeamish. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. You know? It makes me want to disappear at me on our soul. Um, and so with him being kicked out of the band, they did lose something in that. But I think they gained a bit more of a straight trajectory and a bit more the wheels weren't going to fall off kind of thing. Because you could see it, it falling apart at the seams in that documentary. And in the future, pushing forward to 2009, in May 2009, uh, Jay Bennett sued Wilco well, sued Jeff Tweedy for a breach of contract from his, stemming from his work with no, Wilco. Right. Now, this is the interesting part. The lawsuit came less than two weeks after Bennett publicly revealed that he needed a hip replacement surgery, which he couldn't afford on his normal health insurance because it was a pre-existing condition. So he then went and sued the band. Unfortunately, later that month, Jay Bennett died of an overdose. Oh, that was the same month. The same month. Yeah. Now, that's terrible, but I do have another link so, we talked about all the episodes being linked in some way. Right. Wow. Uh-oh. Jay Bennett died of a fentanyl overdose, just like Princeton.
2: What?
0: Of Dark the, link, man. Of the exact same- Yankee. Uh, but, exact oh, same no. Hotel. Stream. It continues. Boxtrot. Yankee. Yeah. So, tragic because he was a crucial part of the band, especially in this era. He did a lot of great work. Unfortunately, those two together had different ideas creatively and therefore fell out. But for the time they were two kind of storms coming together, creating a piece of beautiful art and drifting off into the distance. I'm thankful for that whole partnership and it's a shame of the way it ended. But such is life and such is the world that we live in. So let's move on to the last track on the album, which is track 11 and it's called Reservations. That was track 11 and the final track on the album, Reservations.
1: I feel there's like a lot to talk about with this song, but just to start everyone off with a, a nice fact. God, I've got loads of them today, actually. You've been full of factoids. Out, and you'll, you guys will like this one. I have got for you where the band's name I originated know from. know <laughs> what that is. Yeah,
2: oh,
0: yeah what?
1: Well, yeah,
2: well, well, it's Wilco, and it? It's Wilcomply. Wilcomply. It? That's fine. That's fine.
1: Thank you for tuning in today <laughs> we've been between the tracks. <laughs> cool. Um, anyway. What um, you get then? Song's good, isn't
0: it? <laughs> it's beautiful, man. What a, what an ending to an album for me, this. I love it. It's a real calm down. Um, can I just say, like, obviously the
1: back half of the song, more than the back half of the song, is the kind of ambient soundscape mm-hmm. vibe. I felt like this album had the ability to kind of evoke other senses that you don't get from just listening to a song in it's kind of traditional sense of like the the whole soundscape nature of it did other things to me. It kind of painted a different picture and I felt like it gave me time to digest what the album was all about and what Jeff was trying to say. And I just felt like that soundscape was my time to process everything.
0: I love that. Yeah, same. I love that. Yeah. Same. That's so so well put. Like I love that as even a concept to be inspired by, especially because in the middle of the song, the song almost ends right slap bang in the middle. It's It almost comes to a complete stop. And the album could end there, but instead it spins off into this almost a credits roll sure. un- yeah, under bed okay, yeah. where it's like yeah, that's, that's cool. where the credits would be. And for you to say that, man, that really puts it into perspective because you do, you sit there and you don't realize, you don't pay attention to it almost. It's very much the subliminal Part of your brain is listening to it while you sat there thinking, and yeah, I think that every time, man, that's really, really well noted.
2: But it, but it is such a personal album. It's, it feels yeah. it's so, it's so um, claustrophobic almost, mm-hmm. and like almost within his brain, mm. and it's almost as if they've not been released and and been heard by someone. So to have that that decompression is is really useful, and it, I'm so glad you said it because I'd never even thought about it like that.
0: Yeah, it's the um, the afterglow moment where it's like the album gets put to bed and then you sit there. Normally after, a, like, if I listen to a full album in headphones or on vinyl or something like that, at the end of it, there's a period of silence where I'm just sat there like, wow. Yeah, for And sure. that almost provides a sound bed to that. So, yeah. I,
1: I suppose it, in a sense as well, it's like in a modern era now, if you're on Spotify and you listen to the end of, let's say, let's go from last week's album, like Sound of the Times, mm. Spotify would then instantly put you on something that sounds like Prince or something yeah, like yeah. This. Or True. another Prince track, it spits you out. Yeah, yeah, but like this in a sense is fucked all that in a in the best way possible. Because yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it goes like, yeah. no, you're not fucking listening to anything else. We've just done this masterpiece and now mm-hmm. you're going to decompress. I think as well, like, you know, the the soundscape as well, I couldn't help but feel was in some way, Jeff feeling quite, for a lack of a better word, like alien about his feelings. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't ever justify the way he felt. The soundscape that's created is him going like, none of this is normal. None of this I can tie down and I couldn't help but feel that this track was summing that up that the end of it all, none of it makes sense anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Finally puts a nice full stop on it with the still an inability to communicate. Yeah. But as an album, what a story, what a kind of, it's wicked, it's wicked. Just a finger in the face of the corporate machine, a kind of an album that could never have seen the light of day again because of someone's choice. And I will put a, um, I'll put a link to a video and it was by, um, it's Frank Zappa being interviewed and he talks about the music industry and how executives and stuff work. And he says that back in the day when you'd have back, way back in the day, long before Wilco, you would have these big executives who would be suit wearing, cigar chomping people who didn't know anything about music and you would bring them an album and it would go on the desk and they would go, well, what is it? And you go, well, I don't know. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, stick it out and if the kids like it, we'll make more of them. If not, Fuck it. That's how they used to be. Frank Zappa says, you'd have these hippie guys coming in and bringing those guys coffee. Now, when those guys in the suits and the cigar chompers retired, the hippies became the executives and they had too much of an opinion. And they became the gatekeepers of the industry saying, oh, well, we don't like it. So the people aren't going to like it. So at that point, the industry became bottlenecked down to the tastemakers of the industry. And it still is to this day. There are people who gatekeep the industry. And imagine how many albums don't see the light today. Because or didn't see the light of day in that period of time because someone because of one person's opinion, be it the A&R yeah, on this record so or be it anyone else. Fortunately, nowadays, for better or worse, we have direct access to distribution. We can put music out there and anyone can do it, which is great. But back then, it was really difficult and it almost kills me to think that this album could not have seen the light of day because of the opinion of one A&R in this, in this world.
2: It is a mad thought. That's so mad. It is a mad thought. Well said. It's sickening. Yeah. Thanks for it. I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to gestating with this. Um, yeah. it's not an easy listen within a week to then talk about because every listen I gave it, it got better and it got a bit more rich and it definitely yeah. it got a bit more familiar, less uncomfortable. But
1: I did find it an easy listen on the flip side of that. Isn't yeah,
2: that but but I felt like I needed to go
0: further and further and further mm-hmm. and further into it. So. Every listen, you've picked something else out. But, you know, if on first listen, it's really good and you enjoy it, great. If you did listen to this album and couldn't really get it, save it off and give it a few more listens because I do feel like you'll, you'll get to it, or if not, at least be able to appreciate how much of a beautiful album it is. For sure. Nice one, Carly Boy. A good choice, Carl. Thanks. I appreciate it, lads. No, I, I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on it as well because I don't really um, get that one out much. So, yeah. So we'll leave it there on on Wilco, Yankee, Hotel, Foxtrot. Thank you very much for listening through that. And I hope you stayed with us. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had some insights that you might not have heard before. We are Between the Tracks. It's a book club for music. So we will announce um, as we finish this episode next week's album, which will be Chris's album. And if you want to go away, you've got a week until next Monday to go and have a listen, digest the album, get any questions, comments, theories, thoughts that you want. Send them to us if you want in a comment or a voicemail. We have a Patreon set up now. We don't want to put ads all over the place. So we just kind of reach out to the community. And if you enjoy what you're listening to, feel free to throw us a quid or something like that in the jar. So yeah, we've got a couple of beers in. Um, We've got Lagunitas, which is a Chicago beer, which we're drinking. So cheers, boys. Cheers to Wilco. (laughs) Cheers to Jeff Tweedy and all that lot. Rest in peace, Jay Bennett. Thank you for all of the amazing work that you did on that album as well. Mm -hmm. And yes, so next week is your choice, Chris. It is. Do you have it with you?
2: I do. Um, right. I have decided to go for an album that I've not yet heard at all. It was released last year and I wanted to do something British because we've not done anything British just yet. And it is going to be the self-titled album by La Le Havas. Oh, nice. Of last year. Yeah, I know a little about her. I know some of her songs and some of the places she's been featured. but I really don't know anything about the album. It's been reviewed incredibly well. And I'm looking forward to having my first week with it alongside you guys. So hopefully we'll enjoy that one too. I'm excited for that. Nice
1: choice. I'm really excited for that one. Mm-hmm. Nice, Get nicely on board. Go
0: there we go so there you go um go away and have a listen let us know what you think and meet us back here same time next monday and we'll be going through chris's choice which is leanne la havas self-titled album leanne la havas thanks as always for tuning in thank you for supporting the show thank you for listening feel free to share it amongst your friends and help us get a few more people in the party my name is carl lewis this is chris bunt see you in the car carl and this is charlie fowler cheers and gold see you next week
1: Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Written, produced and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jatto. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support.
0: If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website. Oh, and this one's from Andrew Disk. Thanks. Hello. Anna. Yes, uh, I, I just have a quick question about Wilco. Um, hmm. I'm just wondering what time they shut on Sundays. <laughs> I need to buy some gel pens. On a Sunday, I think it's about three o'clock. No, four o'clock. Sorry. Yeah. Four o'clock. <laughs> Carl's there every
2: Sunday.
1: I hope that old every boy finds his um, gel
0: pens. Gel pens. Oh, I I did, um, imagine uh, paper the art, plates.
2: Imagine the artwork.
1: Um,
0: that, that that will be throwing
1: up, you know? Do you remember those to gel
0: out. pens you get at school and they'd smell? You, they'd all have like different fruit oh flavors. Oh God. I all feel the like... girls would have them. Are they, surely, they're still around? No, they're probably carcinogenic, aren't they? Oh, uh, Yeah.